The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, Chile, with its long history of growing grapes and its long, thin geography, it produces a fascinating range of different wines. Long regarded as reliable rather than necessarily exciting, our guest today believes that is changing fast with innovation, the new watchword. Alistair Cooper, MW, will tell us why he is so excited about what's happening in Chile. Plus, later on, as always, your medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Chile. It's believed the vine arrived here in the 1500s, courtesy of Spanish settlers. Narrow and thin, running more than 4,000 kilometres down the west side of the Andes. The terrain is varied, fascinating, sometimes very high and famously phylloxera-free. Yet, for a long time, the country has been celebrated more for its dependable great value winemaking than for being necessarily hugely exciting. That is changing fast or so says our guest today, a friend of the drinking hour, Alistair Cooper, master of wine, consultant, writer and a member of the senior judging committee at the International Wine and Spirit Competition, a South America expert, thanks in part to his time living there, uh, the recent London trade tasting for Wines of Chile, at which I was present. Uh, Alistair hosted a number of masterclasses, fully subscribed, I should also add, uh, where he said that things were changing at a spectacular rate. Well, Alistair joins us now. Um, welcome back to the Drinking Hour, Alistair. Hi, David. Thank you for having me back. It's great to uh, great to chat again. Yeah, well, uh, I'm looking forward to this um, because um, <laughs> you said that things are changing at a spectacular rate. Um, yeah. Why, first of all, did they need to change? Well, I, I think you hit the nail in, on the head in your intro there, David, really. with And I think Chile has been synonymous or been best known in the trade for being dependable, um, but perhaps slightly... Um, I, I, boring. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna, just gonna say it. Boring. And I think that's been a little bit unfair, actually, for many years. Um, but I think, whilst I believe things have been changing, bubbling under the surface in Chile itself, the message hasn't really got out to the wine professionals over the world. What's really happening there? And and the past sort of ten, twenty years, um, we've seen just a huge advance on so many levels um, throughout the whole of the Chilean wine industry. Um, and this is beginning to trickle through. And I'd say it's more than a trickle down. It's beginning to so a cascade might be a bit too much, but it's beginning to, to steadily flow through um, the, 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 the professionals over the world as actually what's happening in Chile. And, and it's great to see finally. I agree with you. You really struck a chord with me because uh, although I've been buying Chilean wines for mm. uh, for years and I've been a fan of Chile uh, for years and it's a, a wonderful place to visit on holiday as well, I should say, um, yeah. I, I've never really known 
quite what it stands for in in mm. the way that I do feel I know that about other countries, especially its neighbour, uh, Argentina. Mm. Um, so what is changing, do you think, that uh, is going to um, bring about, well, hopefully that cascade you mentioned? Well, do you know what? There's, there's, there's quite a few answers to that question. Um, but I, th- I think one of the key ones actually has been the... And this is this is sort of slightly ironic, actually, that Chile, uh, you, you mentioned it in, in the intro as well, has a very rich history. You know, that the vine came here in 1551 down to the southern heartland of Itata and Maule. And Pais was the great variety that came over. Muscat was the white grape that came over. And, um, and one of the key things that's happened in the past 15, possibly 20 years, but largely in the last 15 years, has been a revival of Chile's historic past. So this history, these what they call these heritage grape varieties of Pais, Muscat, and then also Sanso and Carignan, other French varieties that we can, we can look at as well. As well, coupled with that, we've seen globally a movement towards natural or lower intervention wines and the use of amphoras, etc. These are things that have been happening in Chile since the beginning, you know, making wines in what they call tinajas, or amphora as they're known elsewhere, has been going on for hundreds of years. Yet recent, I think there was a there was a hang up from about the 1850s. We saw the Chilean wine industry began to become very French for various reasons. Um, phylloxera, a huge influx of, of French winemakers to Chile and an influx of these French noble varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Carmenere, these great varieties that we've always associated with Chile. And these heritage varieties, largely got marginalized and forgotten about um and actually more than marginalized they, they became maligned they became a sort of hang up to chile's colonial past um yet what we find is these amazing patches of old vines semion as well there's some some, some vineyards down in the south of chile that are two to three hundred years old which is really astonishing when you put that in a in a global um perspective and of course the lack of phylloxera is a huge is a huge um part of that but so i think actually one of the key things has been a a look back into the past into these old varieties as well as these old regions further further down south and it sounds like what you're saying is in winemaking terms they've kind of learnt to do a bit Mm. less almost this that's that's been that's a very 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 good point and and it's very astute of you to, to notice that yes there's been a step back i think again globally there's been a a step in that direction as well. You know, there's 20, 25 years ago, there was a, the prominence of a certain wine critic that favoured heavily extracted, oaky, rich, ripe styles, certainly had left its imprint on, on Chile as well as many other countries. And I think globally, there's been a, a move towards, you know, maybe less is more, so less less intervention in a winemaking capacity, as I mentioned, you know, less oak, less extraction, less fruit, and an, an, an emphasis on drinkability. But I think, yes, certainly, that is how things were done in the past um, in Chile. So it is exactly that. It's a it's an understanding of you don't need to, to, to smother these things in makeup. They're, they're beautiful as they are au, au naturel. Was there anything wrong, per se, with going for that dependability uh, I mentioned? Because, I mean, you've got exquisite taste. You know, you're going to love 
uh, these heritage varieties, these yeah. um, beautiful low intervention wines. I happen to agree with you. I love these wines too. Um, but actually, yeah. in terms of, of the supermarket shelf and these wines that have performed so well for Chile, um, aren't mm. they in danger of, of kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater if they're not careful? It's a really interesting point. And I, I think diversity is is something that we should we should welcome, really. And I think that, that Chile can create these supermarket wines at, you know, let's let's say sub £10. Your Cabernets, your, your perhaps less so Merlot, your Sauvignon Blancs, Chardonnays. Um, it, it is a wonderful thing. I think the, the, the mistake that was made in the past was to focus pretty much entirely on that and then try to build the rest of the category by going super premium, you know, and I think what the, the, the mistake they made was was only focusing on that. I think the fact that they can produce these wines is an amazing thing. You know, they have a wonderful climate and, you know, we're not all going to drink these these wines that stimulate us, you know, these low intervention, slightly more premium wines. You know, the, the reality is wine is a business and we need to, to, to satisfy that category. But it's just not only becoming not becoming dependent on it. And that was the mistake I think Chile made. It was a mistake Australia made as well back in the past, but they quickly realised more quickly than Chile that they needed to redress the balance and and, and build, uh, you know, and premiumise as well. And I think now finally we're beginning to see that with Chile. And I think there's no reason why why each sector can't, can't sort of coexist peacefully. I mentioned your role at the London Trade Tasting, which um, mm. Anita Jackson from Wines of Chile uh, said is a really important event for them. It's um, not just a, an opportunity to showcase wines uh, to the trade. Uh, it's also a kind of barometer for them to see how their wines are going down, how they're being received. You know, London's such an international crossroads uh, for wine. So yeah. what did you kind of choose to highlight for your fully subscribed masterclasses that I mentioned? Well, it was it was really a bit of everything. And again, I think this this diversity, I think touching on what, what I've just sort of talked about, I think we need to accept and acknowledge and actually embrace the fact that Chile can do, you know, the Cabernets, the Merlots, the, the Carmenaires at a very good price point. Um, and as well as showcasing you know, these new exciting things. I think it's it's really embracing all of that. So I, I largely chose to show a bit of a, a broad spectrum. So I de- definitely wanted to highlight some of these these older vine um, wines. So we had some Pais, we had uh, some Pais Sanso, we had um, some old vine Semillon. You know, Semillon's a fascinating one because, you know, not many people know this, but but in, in the 1950s, there, there was about 40,000 hectares of Semillon planted. In, in Chile, it was the second most planted white uh, grape variety. And now there's only, I think, less than a thousand. But what there is, they, they ripped it all up irritatingly. And, but now what they have is beautiful old vine semillon. So I wanted to showcase some semillon as well. And then some of the more innovative styles as well, as well as showing, and this is the other thing to, that's very important, is the distinct regions of Chile. There are some really fascinating new regions um, that are coming on the stream. And, and some regions that we think of as being you know, established such as Leder Valley was only planted 20 years ago. You know, it, it's really, they've become almost household names for Sauvignon Blanc, or Leder almost has. And, um, you know, they're still very, very young. So the, the future is really very bright. It's interesting you mention uh, Semillon because mm. I will confess, um, 
picking up on what I said about not absolutely feeling that I knew what Chile stood for, I don't think I really appreciated the quality of semillon in mm. uh, Chile before I went to that tasting a, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going through the wines I selected as my top 10 highlights. And it's very hard, as you know, to pick a top 10 from that many wines. But I, but they, 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 uh, they, they work well for the buyer, the publication I was writing it for. Um, yeah. So um, and I'm, I'm looking through like Granito from uh, Jay Bouchon, Semillon 2019, oh, yeah. Carmen uh, Florian uh, Semillon, um, and this is uh, a floor-aged uh, semillon, really, really in in innovative. Arresti Trisquel series origin uh, semillon 2020. There's a lot of semillon uh, in my top 10, uh, you know, 30% of it. It's it's pretty incredible, isn't it? It is. And and again, it's it's uh, for me, it's tragic that, that all this semillon was, was pulled up um, when it was it was pretty unfashionable in the 50s 60s and it was all planted you know they planted Sauvignon Blanc well they thought they were planting Sauvignon Blanc they actually planted Sauvignon Ass uh, there was a big mistake in, in Chile in, in that respect with regard Sauvignon Blanc back in those days but Sauvignon you know you've, you've hit the nail on the head there with those with those wines that you mentioned the, the Granito the Bouchon is just a stunning wine, you know, old vine semillon. And again, with the Florion, again, you talked about you know, innovation and that's, that's Vini Calm and that's Emily Faulkner, who's a fantastic winemaker, um, you know, experimenting with floor age semillon. Um, so there's, there's only, as I said, there's only sadly about, I think just under a thousand hectares knocking around in Chile, but, but what is there is, is pretty old, you know, pushing a hundred years and, and possibly even more in some cases. And yeah, you know, you're right. Not many people know about Chilean Semillon, and, and most people didn't know until five years ago about, about Pais or about Sansa or, or even about Carignan until Vino came in. So I think there's there's uh, Syrah, another great variety, wasn't really planted until 1997 in Chile. So there are so many great varieties that people historically won't associate with Chile that that have been there for a while, or if they haven't been there for a while, they're very very exciting. So um, yeah, Semillon's a, a great example. And uh, a, a great variety that uh, people will associate uh, with uh, Chile, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, yeah. I've tended, um, rightly or wrongly, uh, to regard them as a bit sort of clumsy, a bit, a bit much for me, um, yeah. in, in, certainly in terms of the, the kind of um, uh, value uh, price level. Um, but then uh, I was trying wines at, at the tasting. Um, Las Velletas uh, Sauvignon Blanc 2019 from uh, yeah. the uh, Morlaix Valley that you mentioned. Valley, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Much more uh, Menetou Salon than Marlborough in style, um, I wrote in my tasting notes, and that went into my, my top 10. So it's, it's Sauvignon Blanc getting sort of some some kind of a, a bit more nuance uh, than it uh, has perhaps um, uh, had in recent years. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, that the wine you mentioned, Las Valetas, as well, is made by a winemaker that also makes a beautiful wine in um, in uh, called Labirinto down in, in Maule as well. And that's very much more this steely style, you know, miniature salon, sancerre. Um, and I think the experimentation of, of Sauvignon Blanc down in Maule and also altitude has made a difference but certainly as well as I mentioned you know Leda we, people know about Leda and Sauvignon Blanc but it's only been producing 
grapes and, and wine for 20 years so the vines are only now beginning to establish themselves and get themselves to a to a decent age if we compare you know Marlborough we all know how young Marlborough is as a region in New Zealand and that was you know is considered young and I think the first grapes were planted there in 1976 or something so 1980 so that's twice as old um, uh, as later and I think you know it takes a little bit of time to to establish a a style but you know Chile's blessed with this wonderful coastline as, as you know and that is is has been very important in the evolution of Sauvignon Blanc as well and learning where on the coast to plant because it's um you know as you know it's an early opening grape variety so that adds a whole dimension and there's many 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 vineyards that are, that are being planted all along the coast in Chile not just around Leda and, and Casablanca so I think stylistically it is changing I've noticed that even more so in the last even in the last three three to four years there's been a huge advance in 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 the moving from some of these as you say perhaps clumsy styles um to, to more nuanced to more racy to more citrusy and and less of those tropical or, or herbaceous sauvignon blanc so yeah there's there's been a huge difference and again as i mentioned you know sauvignon blanc is relatively young in in certain terms because they 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 were they planted sauvignon ass as a, as a mistake um and much of what was sold pre 2005 uh 2006 was wasn't actually Sauvignon Blanc so it's still, they're still learning really about Sauvignon Blanc as well and the grape you mentioned there I'm not uh familiar with that uh particular Sauvignon no it's well, it's also known as Tokai Frugliano um so it's um it, it's it's Sauvignon ass so it's Sauvignon the word you know Sauvignon and then with a double s e on the end and it's it's a it's a pretty um it's a pretty uninspiring grape variety um it's it's similar ish to, to sauvignon blanc but it's certainly certainly nowhere near as, as high in quality so yeah they they made a they made a bit of a boo-boo much as they did the same thing happened in australia with albarino i think they they, they tried to plant over there and, and it wasn't albarino at all i can't remember what it was but it was some other grape variety that they were selling as albarino so yeah that that was it that was um in, in the past a lot of sauvignon blanc was pretty uninspiring from chile um but now no you're right i think it's it's really turned a corner and um and there's some fascinating sauvignon blancs coming onto onto the market that's a great story uh, not for them but uh, they were <laughs> they were sauvignon them. asses basically um, <laughs> exactly but, uh, exactly yeah. exactly that exactly that uh, what about chardonnay because there were some um fantastic value chardonnays i thought on show mm. um, again mm. it's I, I struggle to kind of define uh, chilean chardonnay in a particular style um you know um these countries so much better than i do um how do you kind of define um chardonnay in chile if you do that's an interesting question again it's a great variety that i think is is good history in chile and again it for, for you know looking back to the the 90s and, and the turn of the century i think a lot of the chilean chardonnays were coming from from the central valley they were relatively sort of tropically in style not not that different to the to the relatively high volume chardonnays that were coming out of of australia at the time i think they you know they did a job um yeah they they were they were decent drinking chardonnays but i think it's again we've seen a huge leap forward as well certainly is in, in the right regions and for me Limery, which is slightly is further north of, of Santiago, is a fascinating region for for Chardonnay. It's one of the only regions in Chile where you find limestone, and limestone and Chardonnay, as we know, is um is a wonderful pairing. So there we're finding these lovely 
chalky, salty styles of, of Chardonnay coming. So I think Limerie is fascinating. Then you have some interesting projects like like Tayu, which is up in uh, up in the Atacama, where you've got um, Chardonnay being produced on very saline soils, and that's that's a, another example of real innovation. That's a fascinating project. And I think then as well using that coastline that Chile has again has become really important for for Chardonnay. We've got wines such as Las Pizarras um, by Vigna Erasmus, which is coming from the Aconcagua Costa, so the, the coast of the Aconcagua Valley. And there, you know, with Chardonnays that are they're about 12.5%, 13% alcohol, but have real intensity and concentration and far more that, you know, dare I say it, Chablis-esque style rather than the, the more tropical, richer, warmer styles that, that probably Chile was better known for. So it's, I think it's, again, understanding which areas to come for and that move towards the more elegant style, but certainly Chilean Chardonnay and as well down down the south of Chile, which has been a fascinating progression as well. Areas like Mayeco, which is a little bit further south from Biobio and Atata. There's some really beautiful Chardonnays from from down there. So it's it's really just an evolution of, of planting different areas and regions as, as well as understanding the soil types much better, which has been a huge advance as well in the last 20 years. I've tasted some fantastic wines from Atacama. I remember the first yeah. time I discovered one, which wasn't that long ago. Yeah. I was really quite surprised because um, I've been to the Atacama Desert on holiday about uh, 15 years ago um, in the famous uh, tourist town that uh, everybody goes to, which is great fun, full of backpackers and all the rest of it. Great vibe. It's beautiful, isn't it? But I, I'm, I was astonished that you could grow anything in the Atacama Desert, let alone vines. But the, they, they, they they are producing some really amazing wines, aren't they? They they are, and I I think you know the San Pedro that you're referring to, which is the very the, the you know, really quite north in the Atacama, is 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 quite a lot further north than than where some of the the the, the wines are being produced. Um, and I think um, so. It's it's not there, there are actually some in that in that far north that, that are being produced. So it is it is astonishing what the, what they can do. And I think you know drought has been a huge problem for Chile. Um, and it continues to be a huge problem for Chile. So water shortage is um, uh, uh, something that really has been a concern and continues to be. Um, yet again, this is where innovation has come in. They've been very, they've been very good thus far at understanding how to reduce their their need for water in in the vineyard and, and moving towards dry farming wherever possible. And um, and and they, they have understood very much how to minimise the use of water. Through, through modern irrigation systems and that's been that's been key for them to to be allowed to to to, to thrive but yeah you know it's it's certainly a country that's really not short of innovation at all as you say you know, even even trying to make wines in the desert is um it, it sounds sounds pure folly but when you taste the wines it's, it's astonishing what they're what they're producing it really is lovely you know uh salinity to the wines i don't know if that was just sort of auto suggestion um on my part but i, I really did uh, kind of feel that uh um, wonderful uh, yeah. sort of minerality to to those those wines. Um, yeah. It's uh, long and thin, famously so. So you get this yeah. huge diversity in terms mm. of terroir, in terms of the climate conditions. If we go down the other way, at the opposite extreme, I suppose, from Atacama, down in Austral, one of the mm. wines I highlighted, incredible, Vigna Casa Silva Ranco Riesling 2020. This uh, most yeah. wonderful, refined, ethereal yeah. Riesling. And that's coming from uh, down south, where I, I guess it's just really cold. 
It is really cold, and so that, that Lagaranco, yeah, that whole project has been fascinating from from Casa Silva, and um, I agree with you. I think that's a, a stunning reasoning, and actually. On that point, I'd love to see more Riesling in Chile. They, the Rieslings that they do produce are, are fantastic, but of course, commercially, as we know, it's 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 a it's it's not so easy to to sell, um, and even probably even harder if if it's from from Chile, which doesn't really have a a, 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 a relationship as such commercially with with the grape variety. Um, but yeah, that the push further down south, it it is cold down there. Uh, importantly, down in this Lagoranco is that the fact that the vines are very close to this to this lake, the the, the Ranco Lake, which which helps to mitigate frost um, and 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 climate. So obviously, if you're near a body of water, it has a it has a warming effect um, locally. I mean, there's other fascinating projects on the island of Chiloé, which is down in 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 the Lake District of of Chile. We've got the a project by Montes, by Vino Montes, who have planted some grape rights some grapes in, on Chiloé. And, um, you know, when I lived in Chile back in 2002, three, I, I travelled down to the south of Chile and, and through the island of Chiloé. And, and the thought, if someone had told me then, that they'd, you know, fast forward to, to just now, to just 15 years later, there'd be vineyards there, I would have, I would have laughed. I mean, there's projects down, all the way down in an area called Chile Chico, which is now the furthest, the most southern vineyard in the world where they're really they really are pushing the boundaries to see what they can do and again they're also aware with this water shortage and that we talked about and the problems of the drought problems further up north you know it, it is more more sustainable and makes more sense to be pushing towards these these southern regions that have higher rainfall um and and and, and better are better equipped to deal with the the challenges of, of climate change so yeah the, the push down south and for these these styles, as you said, that we might not even, you, you really don't tend to think of really racy, crystalline, pure wines coming from Chile, but there, there, there is, there is, there's so much potential down there. It's, it's really, really fascinating. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I came away from that tasting with, uh, you know, having tasted really quite a few surprisingly mm. crystalline, pure beautifully expressive wines so it was uh, yeah. a very successful uh, tasting in, in that respect let's talk about um uh, one of the varieties that i know you love um pice then this <laughs> yeah. is something as you said that it, again this is a, a great variety that i only really discovered about sort of three or four years ago when i was um, on a, a liberty wines trip to mm. visit pedro para uh, the famous yeah terroir guru uh, who digs yeah. pits everywhere he goes to analyze the That's soil right. but he's producing amazing wines which i'm sure you're very familiar with um using um old bush vine pice and sanso as well um uh, yeah. what makes pice so special to you the fact that it is the first great variety that that landed in chile as far as we were aware you know in 1551 it's um Listem Prieto is, is its other name in, in, in its homeland of, of, the, of Tenerife and the Canary Islands. So it came over with the Spanish via the Canary Islands, via Peru, actually, down into Chile. And I think the fact that, you know, that's that's an interesting story. It was it was the grape variety that that prevailed in Chile um, for, for, for hundreds of years. It was the red grape that everyone grew. It was the grape that grew on these rolling granitic hills um, in around the, the city of Concepcion, and um, and and it was the grape variety that established the you know the Chilean wine industry before all the the the, the French interlopers and and the like came in you know in the in the in the eighteen hundreds. So I think you know f from a romantic point of view, it's interesting to 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 
pay attention to it. But it, it is a fascinating one because for, for many years, as I said, it became maligned and, 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 and it was very, very untrendy and unfashionable. So it, there's still, I think there's still, how, how, many, how many hectares must there be of pais now? There's probably about eight, 9,000 hectares of pais. I mean, there used to be hundred, you know, over a hundred, probably yeah. maybe a hundred thousand hectares at, at, at a guess, maybe a little bit less, but you know, a huge amount. Um, and most of it got ripped up, but for many years it was just produced as as wine for communion wine, um, and it was produced as wine that went into Tetra Pak and, and was sold in in bulk, or it was blended away into cheaper Cabernet Sauvignons, etc. So it's a great variety with a huge amount of history. The you know the old vine stock is fascinating, as I said, to see these old you know two hundred year old plus vineyards of of Pais is is just frankly astonishing, and I think it's um. But of course, coupled with that, you've got to have um, decent yields as, as, as grapes get older. Unfortunately, Pais is very high yielding, which is why it's so popular, because it was more, you know, quantity over quality in many ways. But it's a great variety that wine wine producers now, because it was so maligned, they paid, it produced rustic wines. It can have a tendency towards rustic tannins. So it was really the oldest grape variety in Chile, yet it was the one that the great variety that modern winemakers knew least about because they paid no attention to it. So when it began to be re revalued, shall we say, and rediscovered and, and, um, and reinvigorated back in 2005, 2006 was the beginning of that, but really from 2010, 11 onwards, so really only the past decade, winemakers really had to understand how to tame those rustic tannins and how to, to really show what the true expression of Pais is. And, and the reality is that they're, they're only just now beginning to understand that. And so we're seeing some fascinating examples of Pais coming on. And I think the, the key in the, in, the, in the winery, you have to be careful with extraction. Um, so some, some people are using carbonic maceration to, to tame those tannins. And it's really about gentle extraction and, and allowing it, 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 it. It's a fascinating grape that can be very similar to Beaujolais in some way. So it can be quite light and easy, but always I really like the grip that the tannins can have. And I like when winemakers just e express that it can have an almost Nebbiolo type tannin which is very fine and elegant um and i'm not i certainly don't think it's anywhere near as noble as nebbiolo don't you know don't get me wrong but it's um it's it's uniquely chilean in, in, in its expression and i think that should be that should be um you know embraced and, and rewarded and people should be able to taste this this little part of history mm, and it's delicious certainly in the hands of pedro para at his uh, winery oh, yeah. anyway just for those listening who are a little bit uh well who aren't an MW or don't have a diploma or whatever? Just explain in in, um, in in sort of layman's terms what you mean by carbonic maceration and and, and what uh, effect that has. Yeah, car carbonic maceration or semi-carbonic maceration really is where you allow the grapes to you, you don't crush the grapes or you you put whole bunches of grapes into a, a fermentation vessel and you, the weight of the of the bunches on on the the ones at the bottom begins a, a fermentation, and then what we have what you call an intracellular fermentation. So a very gentle fermentation that starts that starts in the berries themselves. And essentially, you know, without getting in too complex, what this this leads you with is a very gentle, soft wine. You tend to it's it's the the, the technique that they use in in Beaujolais. So you tend to have softer tannins um, and, a, and a more approachable wine at a younger age and often a lighter colour as well because you're not extracting, heavily extracting and, and crushing and pumping 
to, to get color out of those grape varieties. You're really trying to minimize too much of that extraction from, 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 from the grapes. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, while we're talking about that style of wine, another one of um, the favorites that you identified, uh, Sanso. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sanso is is a great variety that I am um, passionate about, you know, and, and it was not just from Chile, but from from South Africa as well, certainly. Um, and from Lebanon, I think there's some interesting things happening there as well, and as well in its in its homeland and heartland of, of the Rhone and and um, and Provence and, and the Languedoc. And I think it's a fascinating grape variety, um, and one that really it, it it was planted in in 1939 or 1940 in Chile. So there was a, a terrible catastrophic earthquake actually in in the in the town of Chillán down in in Itata in 1939. And of course, you know, as you'll know, Chile is 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 prone to, to to earthquakes and this this led to a lot of the vineyards being destroyed and at the time they then decided to to replant with sanso because sanso is a, a high yielding grape variety but it has more color than pais so they wanted to add color you know color is often prized in many countries in wine they want them to be deeper and darker so they chose sanso for its ability to yield for its ability to to um withstand drought and for its it's deeper color so that's when we saw sanso come in so it wasn't really from any qualitative point of view it was just brought in again to 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 boost volume as well um because there was a there was a plan on uh, there's a ban on planting new vineyards at the time to curb problems with with excess drinking in 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 chile as there was in in many parts of the world with at the time you know when we had prohibition etc etc so it's um it's a great variety that, that just happened to to be planted for, for those reasons and i i think it's shown so much potential well, it certainly shows so much potential in in itata and there's still only about i think probably a thousand maybe a, a, a bit more planted in, in in chile it was planted in maui but didn't do so well where it, it suffered there from various vineyard problems in the vineyard from uh, mildew and, and and the like but down in itata it's it's thrived and it produces these beautiful elegant wines um you know they can be pinot noir-esque but really with a, a beautiful salinity from the granite soils that you find down there and um, a great variety that, that just i think not just in Chile, but I say globally, will become more important, especially given climate change, because it can it can yield copiously, it can produce elegant fine wines, and it's it's perfectly placed for for having uh, you know less less need for for water. So exciting, I think, as a variety. Oh, I yeah. love uh, some of those uh, uh, the wines that I tried from Chile, but as you say, South Africa too. Very very. Um, yeah. exciting. So um, let's go to Very. one of the old guard, I suppose, of grape varieties. Um, one that I confess I didn't always like that much for a long time, okay. Carmen Air. And okay. um, I kind of reappraised this um, about a year ago at a, a, a Zoom tasting, and it was a wine that was on show and was actually tasting even better um, at uh, the Wines of Chile trade tasting. This is Ventisquero uh, Oblica Carmen Air. Uh, 2018 from Palta and this is a wine that a lot of love and care and attention has gone into I think it's um, John Duval the ex um, Penfolds chief winemaker was a consultant on the the, the, the project um, is, is Carmen Air uh, sort of being reappraised as well yeah totally I mean you say you know it's it's one of the old it, before you mentioned the great variety I thought you were going to say Cabernet Sauvignon saying you know one of the old you know established greats but of course many people will know the story that Carmen Air 
wasn't officially identified in Chile until until 1994. It, it had been lurking amongst the Merlot vines of, of Chile for, for you know for over a century, and it it, it was you know they, the locals called it Chilean. They called it Chilean Merlot. They called Merlot. Um, they called what was camp what was Carmenere. They called Merlot, and what was actually Merlot. They called it Merlot Merlot. So they, they knew, they, yeah, they knew there was a difference, but they thought it was just some sort of clonal Chilean variety. But of course, it was a completely different grape variety in Carmenere. So it, it ripens a couple of weeks later. So it was very often being harvested. Merlot in Chile was always a very old one because they, they didn't really know what they were harvesting and what they were what they were doing. So the, the, from 1994, when it was officially identified by a French ampelographer who came to the to the vineyards and said, "That's well, that's not that's not Merlot, that's Carmenere." Um, and the story is, you know, pretty well documented. They, the Chileans, then decided to place their bets on Carmenere as Chile's signature grape variety in in an aim. I think they saw what was happening on the other side of the Andes with Malbec, and and wanted their own signature grape variety. You know that that was uniquely Chilean to, to in many ways. You know Cabernet Sauvignon amazing but you know it's it's famous from from many other regions so they they started to plant carmenere willy-nilly really kind of all over the shop um, not realizing that unlike malbec it's very site specific and of course malbec is as well it, it it thrives in certain terroirs we've seen how well it's doing up in the in the altitude of of the yuko valley um but it also you know it it grows well in many places. It's a very adaptable variety, much like Tempranillo is in Spain, Malbec is in Argentina, Carmenere isn't in Chile. So they they planted it in they 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 got ahead of themselves and started planting it, and they were planting it in in the wrong areas. Um, Carmenere needs to be in warm areas, not hot areas. Um, it needs huge amount of work in 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 the vineyard to to understand canopy management and what you should be doing to to protect it from from the sunshine. Harvest dates are absolutely key because it does have high levels of, of those those green characters, those pyrazine characters that, that make it very herbaceous or, or, or like green pepper. So you harvest it too early, you get those really overt green characteristics that can be fine when it's ripe, but when it's unripe, it can be rather unpleasant. And then if you harvest it too late, the alcohol levels shoot up very quickly, the acidity falls, and you're left with a sort of jammy fruit bomb um with with no structure so i think for for a while they really it's a tricky grape variety you know they didn't know what they were doing and um they got ahead of themselves and only recently i think have they really begun to master carmen air and again it's happening very very quickly and and, and i myself up until about I, I remember someone asked me about seven or eight years ago it, you know is carmen air is it a monovarietal or is it a you know will it always be a blending grape? You know it can add certain it can add phenomenally to to, to Cabernet Sauvignon in a blend. But will it be a mono variety? Will it be a great variety that you think would would do well on its own? And um, and I was really unsure. In fact, I, I probably heard on the side of no. I thought it would be a better blending grape going forward. Um, I've totally changed my mind. You know some of the Carmenères that I'm tasting now that are single. You know mono varietals just. 100% Carmenere's are phenomenal. They really, really are. They're learning so quickly about how to, 
you know, as I say, where to plant it, when to harvest it, and also how to treat it uh, again with extraction um, in in the in the winery. You know, extracting more heavily at the beginning rather than than all the way throughout the fermentation. And then, it, so they're, they're they're learning, and I think we've really turned a corner, and we will see again in the next ten years. We're going to see even more um, great Carmenaires coming on coming on the stream. So it, it again it. This just shows how many things, you know, I had so many opinions 20 years ago when I lived in Chile that have been blown on their head and, and flipped right around. And, and I, I'm so happy to, to have seen that happen um, in, in what is a relatively short space of time. But Carmen Air definitely is, um, is, is on the rise. Yeah, well, this particular wine, uh, Oblico, has certainly um, done a oh, huge great. amount to uh, change my uh, uh, sort of perceptions and, and yeah. I suppose sort of bash my prejudices uh, uh, as well. Um, let's talk about uh, what you would regard rightly as the as the proper uh, sort of old guard then, if you like, those um, uh, French interlopers you mentioned earlier on, Cabernet yeah. Sauvignon and, uh, and Merlot. Um, they have, um, you, you referenced um, sort of Parker points and, and so forth earlier on, and they were quite sort of sort of thunderously huge for a while, some of those wines. Is that changing? Yep, it is. Um, I think when we look at these two great varieties, let's Cabernet and Merlot. I think actually, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say I, I don't think Merlot in Chile has ever really been that brilliant. I think it's it, it was always yeah. Chile and Merlot became probably the most famous. I remember when I came back from Chile and I used to say to people, I've just been living in Chile, and everyone would say, Oh, I love Chile and Merlot. You know, that was it was kind of what was what people knew Chile for more than anything else. And actually it was really always made to, they, they always produced those dependable, very soft, fruity wines. And then I, I don't think that that film Sideways, as we all know, helped um, mm. the progression of Merlot. They began to sort of say, well, you know, why should we bother? So I think Merlot in Chile is, is not always hugely inspiring. Um, Cabernet Sauvignon on, on the other, on the other side is, is, astonishing from Chile you know Maipo Valley is 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 one of the world's great terroirs for 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 Cabernet Sauvignon without a doubt um and I think certainly they are again yeah there's there's, there's a big movement towards more finesse in the wines um you know naturally the tannin structure that you get from from Maipo with the elevation so you've got your huge diurnal temperature different differentiation you've got these gravel soils very similar to Bordeaux you do get these wonderfully rounded graphite kind of tannin structure um and i think there there certainly has been a move towards less oak without a doubt um and less less extraction and less fruit bomb so there is this I, I would say now that the cabernets are are far more elegant than they were 20 years ago where they they as we said to talk about the kind of global the global um demand or the global drive was for these bigger wines so yes yeah, definitely um headed towards the more elegant style of, of Cabernet as well. Just to wrap up, uh, we started this sort of arc, if you like, with, um, you know, why things needed to ch to change. Um, mm. You've talked eloquently about uh, how things have changed. Um, if you were going to make a prediction, um, what do you think is kind of next? What's the next big news uh, for wines from Chile? I think... I I've mentioned a couple of them. I think we're going to only going to see even more of a push 
further down south to these to the to the cooler parts you know you talked about Lagarenko how you were you know you 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 were blown away by by that wine and I think there's there's a huge amount of room for for pushing the industry a little bit further south to to look for these cooler more elegant styles of wine the other thing that we're beginning to see more of course you know which we haven't talked about hugely is the Andes we've seen you know Chile of course this long thin country with with the extensive coastline and then flanked you know on the other side by by the the Andes so there's been there's, there's certainly a push towards more higher altitude plantings as well and that's happening more slowly perhaps than the coastal because it's easier let's let's be honest it's easier to plant near the coast than it has is higher in the in, in the Andes um so I think we're going to see a push further south I think we're going to see a push further up into the Andes and and there's this huge potential there I, I think also is this a brave thing to call I think what a category that has always for me been underachieving historically in 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 Chile has been sparkling wines and I think we're beginning to see a handful now of truly excellent sparkling wines coming on and I think if in the in the next 30 years we may see with this push further down south where where Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and uh, grow very very well I think we're going to see I think we might see an emergence of a really exciting sparkling wine category from from Chile of course it's going to take time but I think that might be something that that um, it wouldn't surprise me if, 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 if we saw that but certainly we will see more world-class Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs coming on on the stream as well as this push further south happens brilliant all right well um I'm very demanding not only do I ask you to sort of um uh, talk about what was wrong. I ask you to talk about what's going right, and then I ask for a crystal ball as well. So predict the future. Um, well, yeah. let's see. <laughs> yeah, well, you know where you heard it first. Um, it's always um, fascinating talking to you um, about any wine, actually, to be honest. But um, obviously, calling on your experience of Chile um, is is just just great because I know you're you're very passionate about about the country and its wines, and it's so great um, to to hear about how things are changing and also um, to taste that as I. I did because they've just some some lovely wines there so for now um thank you very much for joining us uh here on the drinking hour again alistair well no thanks for having me in and thanks for, for you know highlighting the wines of, of chile and, and and it's great that, that you know you are highlighting it and are, and are witnessing these things and that you're open to, to to change and i think that's it's we really need to get this message across to people because very often the message is slow getting from from that part of the world over here, and and it and it needs people to you know like yourself and, and other communicators to 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 say well wait a minute there are some really interesting things happening here and to remove some of the prejudices that you know many people you know and, and possibly as you say yourself included might might have had um, about Chile and to, and to to highlight and showcase the the innovation and the exciting things that's going on and one thing I haven't mentioned that I'll just mention very quickly is the is the young generation of winemakers in in Chile they really are an inspiring bunch of of of, of young winemakers they're very well travelled they have huge global understanding of of wine trends and which is, is standing them in really good stead as well and lots of small independent producers which historically Chile hadn't had until recently so lots of small guys going out there finding old parcels of vineyards and, and doing it so there's it's there's a really exciting group of young winemakers that are, that are driving it forward so um but thank you for for for, for highlighting chile and, and and talking about it to the to, to the to the masses it's a pleasure thank you alistair thanks david the drinking hour on food fm you're listening to the drinking hour with david kermode 
in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. And there's just time to bring you some Chilean wines from the 2021 IWSC judging process. First of all, Alistair and I were talking about those blends. Well, here's a textbook example with a gold medal and 95 points. Vinia Sigel Ketran 2017 uh, from Los Lingues in the Colchagua Valley. Uh, this is 35% Syrah, 30% Petit Verdo, 25% Carmenere and the remainder Cabernet Franc. Uh, the panel, including Alistair on this occasion, who I think was the senior member of the uh, IWSC senior judging committee in charge that day. Um, also Stefan Neumann, uh, Master Sommelier, and also uh, Rebecca Palmer of uh, Corny and Barrow, the uh, uh, one of the head buyers there, so an esteemed panel. Um, they said attractive aromatics with red, black and flowery notes palate is rich yet fresh with cassis, dark plums and chocolate. The tannins are plush and there's plenty of freshness to the concentrated palate to keep it exciting in its long finish. Good ageing potential, they said. And another gold medal winner from the same stable. Uh, this is Vigna Sigel again. This is Single Vineyard Carmen Air 2018. Uh, awarding their golden gong for this one, uh, 95 points, uh, which makes it a gold. Uh, the judges said of this, wow, extracted, expressive nose of ripe, dark fruits, earthy spice, menthol and dark chocolate. The palate is perfectly balanced and complex with lovely grippy tannins, warming spice and concentrated fruit. Super long finish with a whiff of padron pepper. There you go, that's the complexity of a Carmen Air at its finest. Uh, and just to show that wines uh, at reasonably modest prices uh, made for supermarkets can also win big, uh, Tesco Finest Carmen Air 2019, made by the uh, celebrated Vigna Concha y Toro, uh, won a gold medal and 95 points as well. Uh, this is 86% Carmen Air, the remainder Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, from the Pumo Vineyard in the Cachapole Valley. Um, the judges said of this, a rich and meaty wine offering intense flavours of ripe black cherries, layered with savoury notes of soft leather, tobacco and elegant sweet vanilla spice. The oak is strong but well balanced and the wine boasts a long finish. And that's just £8 for a gold medal winner, which is pretty remarkable, really. Here's another medal winner, a silver this time, uh, for those on a budget. Aldi Paraiso Sur Syrah 2016 uh, won 93 points. Um, majority Syrah, uh, which is a grape you hear a bit less about from Chile. Um, but there's 2% Viognier here as well. Um, it's from the Casablanca Valley. Uh, the Viognier in there for the uh, aromatics, I suspect, uh, based on our chat a few weeks back with uh, Louisa Rose. Um, the judging panel here said uh, smoked meats baked in earthiness indicate tertiary development. Still powerful, but fine tannins balanced by blackberry acidity. Very long finish, full of flavours combining warmth with savouriness and sweetness as well. And I was on the judging panel for that particular silver medal winner. Finally, we were talking about uh, Sauvignon Blanc earlier. Uh, that's uh, Blanc, not Ass, I hasten to add. And here's a silver medal winner, which underlines the point about its success as a variety in Chile. 
Louis Felipe Edwards Valeros Sauvignon Blanc 2021, a silver medal winner from the Leda Valley. Uh, the judges said great typicity and class throughout this wine, finely poised nose of citrus, elderflower, asparagus and bamboo, vibrant and zingy with nice weight and a touch of pink grapefruit on the long finish. And it's uh, my long finish now. Well, not so long. That's it for another episode of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to Alistair Cooper, MW. Always great fun to chat to. And thank you too for listening. You can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or Twitter. I'm Mr Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're listening on uh, iTunes and you like what you hear, then do please give us a nice uh, rating too, if you wouldn't mind. Um, even if you don't, thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.